Then Moses uh, made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went for three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Murrah, uh, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and the congregation of all the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they have departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, what would, you, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people um, shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are you? Or what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in, in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like, fine as frost on the ground, When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons in that each of you has in your tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them, 
Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. Some words from Psalm 95, which we'll come back to. Uh, He is our God. Father, you are our God. We are the people of your pasture. And you say today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. And so, Father, we pray for our hearts this morning as we hear from you, the living God. We ask that we might be soft-hearted, eager to listen to what you're saying, uh, wanting by your spirit to trust and obey you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, yesterday the women were uh, thinking about uh, gossip. Uh, Today we've all got grumbling, so um, lots to think about for us all. And the Lord's putting this before us. And um, you know, someone might ask you, uh, how are you doing? And we say, well, mustn't grumble. You ever said that? Mustn't grumble, we say. Mustn't grumble. Um, but we do. <laughs> we do grumble. We, we grumble about everything. I don't know what sort of things you generally grumble about. I don't know what you've grumbled about in your heart this week or to others. And Pathfinders and Spectrum, you're uh, here with us. I don't know what sort of things you uh, grumble about. Uh, if, if you're like me, when I was uh, your age, I guess there's a lot of grumbling about homework, how much homework you've been set at the moment, which teacher sets you the most homework. Grumble about that. You grumble about this teacher or that teacher. Grumble about your parents, do you? How much TV you're allowed to watch or not allowed to watch. You grumble about those sorts of things. We all do. How about all of us? What sort of things do we grumble about? Well, again, all sorts of things. Roadworks, politicians, the NHS, the, the Wi-Fi is just, it's just too slow. It's not working. What's wrong with the Wi-Fi? We grumble about the Wi-Fi. We grumble about queue jumpers. Ooh, queue jumpers. Anyone who jumps a queue, we jumble, we run, jumble about, um, we grumble about uh, them. We grumble about trains running late. We grumble about people talking too loudly on their phones on trains that are running late. We grumble about grumblers. Do you do that? I just I hate people who grumble. Oh, I really, they really wind me up, I tell you what. Now, how seriously should we take grumbling? It's just a bit of grumbling, isn't it? It's just a little bit of a, a grumble we're having. Well, God takes it very seriously in, in this passage. It's a symptom because... It's a symptom of how we relate to God, actually. And he wants us to to work that out. Grumbling spoils our relationship with him. It spoils our relationship with others as well. But God's people have just been saved. He's just brought them out of Egypt. He's just brought them through the Red Sea for relationship with him. And what is it that spoils the relationship? It's grumbling. Grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. 
And so here are the people in the wilderness, but it's not just sort of aimless wandering, an aimless part of their history, a sort of accident. God has a purpose in it. God is testing them. He, he says so in, in chapter 15, verse 25, we had it in our reading. He's testing them. He says it in chapter 16, verse 4. If you look with me, I'm about to top of page 70. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test them. Maybe a more helpful word to help us understand would be the idea of training. He's training them. Like you might do a pathfinders, you might do a practice GCSE paper. You train yourself ahead of the exam. Or you, you do midweek training before the match. God's training his people. He's training them because Egypt is still in their hearts. We heard that last week. He's got to get Egypt. He's got them out of Egypt. He's got to get Egypt out of their hearts. He's training them. And he's training them because they're about to come to Mount Sinai. And there God will give them his law, the Ten Commandments, and outworkings of, of those commandments. And, and there he will call God's people to trust and obey. And so he's training them for that in the wilderness. He's going to show them that they really can trust him and that life will go best when they obey him. Maybe you remember right back at the start of our time in Exodus, we said that it's not just that people are, God's people are saved from, from slavery. They're saved for God. It's really the second half of the book that we're moving uh, towards now. They're saved for serving God, for his presence amongst them. And it's just the same for us, friends. God has saved us for relationship with him, for serving us, not just into a vacuum. And God cares about our relationship with him. He's forging that. And so in this little section, we get three very similar stories of grumbling and God's provision. And I think that's really the point. There's a very predictable pattern that goes on. The people are very predictable, as we are. They grumble. God is very predictable. He's faithful. He's full of grace. And in fact, at the end of the, the story, we'll, we'll come to it a bit later in chapter 17, there's a, there's a memorial that's set up for the people. You could look at it, chapter 17, verse 7. Right at the end, they changed the name of this place, Rephidim, to Massa and Meribah, which means quarreling. So they renamed the place. It'd be like renaming Bromley Grumbletown or something like that. So they re, There's a memorial, but it's not a, it's not a good one for Egypt. The memorial is God's people grumble. There's another memorial. It's to God. It's in chapter um, 16, verse 32. There's a memorial for God. They take some manna. They put it in a jar to keep for, for the generations. It's a memorial that says God is faithful. So that's the story in a nutshell. God's people grumble. God is faithful. God's people grumble. God is faithful. God's people grumble. God is faithful. Faithful. The people are really, really ungrateful. Really ungrateful. But God is good. So let's just uh, work through these stories in, in turn. Let's start in the one that we had read, verse 22 to 27. We'll go fairly quickly with this. The people grumble and God gives 
water. The people grumble and God gives water. So look, here's a, here's a map of where we are in the, in the journey. You can just about see that. They've, they've crossed over the Red Sea. And can you see they're just sort of skirting down the, the eastern shore uh, there of the Red Sea. The place Mara, Elam, uh, uh, Rephidim, slightly further down. We'll get to that at the bottom, Mount Sinai. That's where uh, we're heading. But before all of that, God leads the people into a hard place in verse 22. They're, they're led in three days into the desert, and there is no water there at all. They're parched. This is a hard place to be. It's a hard place to be, not least because of the, the numbers of people that there would have been. At the start of the book of Numbers, you could look it up, uh, chapter 1, verse 45. Look it up later. We're told that in the second year of their time in the desert, there were 600,000 fighting men. They did a census just to check how, many, how big their army could be. 600,000 fighting men. Now, we're a year before that. So there'll be fewer, I guess. We haven't added in the, the women and the children. So how many are there? I don't, I don't know. I'm guessing really one, a million? 1.5 million people? Could it be that sort of number? With no water. It's a hard place to be. It's a very hard place to be. So that's where it starts. But then they come to Mara, just over the horizon. The people right at the front of the, they, they see a, what, a mirage? Is that water? It's water. Maybe the crowds just charge towards it. Water, water. We're saved. We're saved. And yet they get to it. It's bitter. Bitter water. I don't know, spoiled with minerals or salt. It's undrinkable. Their hopes were up. And now their hopes are dashed. And so the people grumble, verse 24. They grumbled against Moses, saying, what should we drink? What should we drink? We need water. We, we, we need a water miracle here. If only there was someone around who was good at water miracles. Three days ago... The Red Sea had been opened by God like you and I open a paper bag. But they've forgotten that. Three days on. It's like all of us in this room on Thursday walked through the Red Sea. Three days later, we need a water miracle. Is there someone who could help? Maybe God? But they don't bring God into the picture. They go straight to Moses and they grumble. They seem to have forgotten about God. And yet, thirdly, God provides in his grace. And so we're told, verse 25, Moses takes a log, maybe it's a tree. He throws it in and, and the water becomes sweet and the people drink. And God tells them, he's setting up a test in verse 26. They're his saved people now. But they need to trust and obey. If they, if they do, it will go well. They'll enjoy their relationship. They'll know the Lord as their healer in verse 26. And then to underline that God's a God who provides, he takes them to Elim. I don't know if it might have looked like this. Twelve uh, springs. Is there a picture there, Charlie? Twelve springs, 70 palms, Hebrew numbers of completion. Maybe something like that. For them, it was a foretaste of the promised land in Canaan. For us, I guess, it's sort of a foretaste of the promised land of, of heaven where all of our dashed hopes... All of our dashed hopes find consolation. 
And so, fourthly, the people can trust God. They, they've been given evidence that they can trust God. He's their provider. So look, that's the first story, and there's the pattern established. God leads them. The people grumble. God's gracious. They've got enough evidence to trust him. Let's come to the second story, the, the, um, the one in chapter 16. And here we see the people grumble, and God gives daily bread. The people grumble, and God gives daily bread. Slightly longer in this uh, passage. It, it's the same pattern, but there are differences. Uh, verse 1, we're told it's, it's now the, the 15th day of the second month. Uh, 30 days in that month. So we're 45 days now. 45 days from the great, one of the greatest miracles the world has ever seen. It's like the Red Sea happened now, back on the 19th of January. But it's still in living memory, it's still fresh. And God is leading the people with a cloud and, and a fire. A pillar of both. And now he leads them to a hard place again. And they're hungry. They're hungry. And the people grumble again. Verse, verse 2, all of them grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They, they say, verse 3, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They seem to have a slightly rosy memory of Egypt, don't they? They seem to have forgotten about the slave drivers and the, the, the bricks without straw. They grumble. Now let's just pause for a second and just think about grumbling. Biblically, I think there is a difference between grumbling and groaning. In, in chapter 2 of Exodus, the people groan before the Lord. Different word, different idea, I think. In Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament, we're told that, chapter 8, 23, that, that we groan inwardly as we wait, that the Spirit actually groans within us. And God doesn't sort of rebuke us for that, as if we shouldn't groan. Groaning, I think, keeps God in the picture. Grumbling tries to keep him out. I think that's the difference. And, and I say that, and I think it's important that we think about that, because some of us here will be going through very, very hard things at the moment. You're in agony at the moment. There are financial worries. There are worries for the family. There are health use issues. There's chronic pain. You are, you are clinging on. And God doesn't, God doesn't lay on us a false guilt when we find those hard places to be. That the Psalms help us to groan. The Psalms help us to keep God in the picture in those hard times. We groan. We lament. We pick up Psalm 13. We say, how long, O Lord, where are you? Just like David did. Just like Jesus did. That's not sub-Christian. That's Christian groaning. Grumbling, I think, is just at the horizontal, horizontal level. We want to keep God out of the picture. We just, we just turn in and down and we, we grumble. So, so look at 
these um, people as they grumble, they in effect just grumble to Moses. They sort of say in their own mind, well, well, look, we're just grumbling to Moses and Aaron about this stuff down here. But Moses is right in verse 8 at the end. He says, your grumbling is not against us. It's against the Lord. And so our grumbling about and and two other people is really against God and, and, and he hears it. And so, friends, when the grumbling starts, I think God's word would encourage us to turn it into groaning. I, I suspect that much grumbling settles, maybe because we weren't aware that the Bible says that we do groan to the Lord. That's okay to, to do so. Maybe we've never heard that. We can. God wants to turn us from grumbling. Just just to the horizontal or just just down here as if God isn't there at all. Sometimes it's hard to acknowledge God is there, but God wants to take us on that journey to him. And he does that through this pattern. He leads us somewhere. There's grumbling. But then there's grace in this story. It is grace. It's a gift that they don't deserve. So look at uh, verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord because he has heard your grumbling. What are you expecting? I'm expecting a telling off. That's what it sounds like. Verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, What are you expecting? I'm expecting. Say to them, Stop it. Say to them, I've had enough. No, no. Say to them, at midnight you'll eat meat, in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you'll know that I am the Lord your God. It's grace. It's grace. Back in verse 3, they said, we don't have any meat, we don't have any bread. And God says, I'll give you meat and I'll give you bread. And it's not just any meat. It's quails. There's a picture of it. It's posh chicken. It's posh chicken they get. It's what they have on MasterChef. It's decent food. And it's lavish. It's lavish. Verse 4, it's rained from heaven. That's how it's described. It's just rained from heaven. And, and verse 35 tells us that it, it lasted for 40 years. 40 years of this. I scratched my head a bit. I, I got out my calculator and I typed in a few numbers. Uh, one million people, let's call it that. Uh, 365 days in a year. 40 years. They had enough for three meals a day. None of them went hungry. I typed all of those things into... And some, Can anyone do the mental mass? Anyone got this one? This is what came up on my um, thing. I thought I'd broken the calculator. <laughs> Apparently I hadn't. Checked with them. She's good at maths. She says that's 43 billion, 800 million meals in a wilderness. That's what God did. 43 billion, 800 million meals. Now, some of you might tell you I've got, it, I've got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure I carried all of the, all of the ones that I, that I should have. But that's amazing. Every day in a wilderness for, with no food, that's sort of what a wilderness is, no food, a million or so people got fresh bread from heaven as a daily delivery. That's amazing. The miraculous meals from heaven. Verse 18, more than enough for each day. And God says he did it so that the people would know that they could trust God. Verse 12, he says, then you'll know that I am the Lord, your God. Remember when Nick spoke on that, the Lord in capitals, the unchanging God. 
the one who will always be like that. So God is saying there is nothing or no one in the future who can stop me being the Lord from providing for you. It's what God says to us as well. I am the Lord. There's nothing and no one in the future who can stop me being the God that I am. I will always be your provider. And God gives them clear evidence to lead them to trust and obey. Remember God's training them as they come to the law at Mount Sinai. And so to train them, God builds in two things to teach them to trust and obey. One's a daily thing, the other's a weekly thing. The weekly thing is in verse 4. The weekly thing's in verse 4. Top of page 70, you're going to go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they'll walk in my law or not. Verse 5, on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Twice as much on the sixth day. And that's explained in verses 22 to 30. We didn't read it, but we're just going to skim it now. Verse 22 to 30, it'd be great if you have your Bible in front of you, page 70. We'll just skim it. Verse 22, on the sixth day they gathered twice as much. Verse 23, they cooked it on the sixth day. Verse 24, it didn't go off. There were no worms, there was no smell. But verse 25, there was no bread delivery. It was a Sabbath. No bread that day, no delivery. And yet, verse 27, some went out looking for it. They weren't trusting and obeying. Verse 28, God was angry. Verse 30, because he wanted them to rest on that day. Do you see, it was a test. Would they trust God to provide? Would they rest in him or would they just do a bit more activity? Would they get ahead of the curve? You know, they've got two portions. Maybe they couldn't have a third. Now look, we may want to think how this applies to us, but at the least, God is teaching that Sabbath is a good thing. That he's designed the world so that the Sabbath should be built in. And so it asks us the question, do you and I find it hard to stop for one day? Do we find it hard? Does the whirring just keep going on? You know, Pathfinder Spectrum, the whirring of just homework. Checking our, checking our work emails, do, doing, doing our, our chores, all of that. Do, do we just want to get ahead of the curve with just a bit more activity? Well, God said to them and to us, you can stop. You need to rest. You can trust me to provide for the week ahead. It's a question of obedience. Roger Carswell, the evangelist who's spoken here, said that for many years he just refused to do that. It wasn't built into his life. He drove himself harder and harder and harder. And eventually he was signed off work. And he said, God forced me to take all of my Sabbaths that I've missed in one block. He said it wasn't a good way to live. So there's the weekly test. God gives a daily test too. Verses 17 to 21, which we had read that they gather enough, but if they keep it to the morning on a normal day, it goes off the next day. It's a brilliant bit of training that God gives. Every day he creates the very situation that they've been complaining of. There's no food. And then he provides one day's food, but only one day's food, unless it's a Sabbath. If they store it, they're worms, 
It smells. Everyone knows that they've disobeyed. What's God teaching? I provide one day at a time. Trust me. Obey me today by leaving tomorrow for tomorrow. And then come back tomorrow and I'll give you what you need then as well. Now, I know myself well enough that if he gave me a week's worth of stuff, I wouldn't come back and check in with him at all. I'd just tuck it away and say thanks very much. Because we're not very good at checking in with the Lord or depending on him. But God cares. God doesn't just want to fill their tummies. He wants to forge a relationship with them. And he knows how bad it would be for them to cut their ties even for one day. And you know, Jesus thinks the same. Jesus cares about our relationship with him. He teaches in his prayer, the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Because he expects us to pray the prayer and come back again tomorrow. He wants us to depend on him. He says later, this isn't a burden, by the way, says Jesus. This is liberating. Don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is very realistic. Just live 24 hours at a time. There'll be daily troubles, but daily bread. It's Sunday, there are Sunday troubles, but there's Sunday grace. Tomorrow's Monday, there'll be Monday troubles, but there'll be Monday grace. He says, live one day at a time. And, and you see, for the, the Israelites, he had 43 billion or whatever food packages was lined up for every day until they got to Canaan. Then they didn't need it anymore and it stopped. And God has lined up for us, if we could put it this way, as believers, Daily grace packages for every day of our life up to the point when we get to heaven. Not just provision of stuff, but provision of him, himself. In John chapter 6, he fed, Jesus fed 5,000 in the wilderness. It was a sort of um, copy of, of this to show he was. And he said, I am the true bread from heaven. I'm the bread. Forget the manna. I'm the bread. You need me. Feed on me. Come to me. And yet, let me tell you that when my mind races to the future, when I worry about that meeting next week, or that event in six months, or five years, here's what I do. I tend to imagine that on that day, it will be little old me, on my own, facing that meeting or event, by myself with my resources. And no wonder that day looks scarier than it is. And so I don't know what races through your mind the days that you have ahead. Pathfinders, I don't know what it is. For me, your age, it was GCSE maths. Terrifying. Terrifying. Hate maths. Maybe that looms large on your horizon. How about for others of us? What if I have to give care to my aging parents? What about if my health fails? What if I need a care home? What if I'm widowed? Some of you have lived through those already. But if you're a Christian, the situation, little old me on my own, is a myth. It's a situation which will never happen. It might feel like it will, but God says, I will be there on that day. Factor me in. Because I'm the Lord. No one can stop me from being the Lord that you need me to be there. To give myself to you. To give the strength and the comfort that you need one day at a time. 
What does grace look like on that day for GCSE maths, for illness, for the deathbed? I don't know. And nor do you. We have no idea what grace we will need in that day. But when we get there, God will give us the grace package that we need. That's the second story. Let's come to the third. The people grumble again, and God gives himself. Just going to read this quickly, verse, uh, chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Uh, seen, by the way, that's, that's not the word sin. It's just a place name, seen. But here is the same pattern. They led to a hard place. By the Lord, by the commandment of the Lord, they're led there. God leads them to a campsite with no water again. He's done it again. But that's okay, of course, because by now we know that God provides, that people can just trust him, surely? No. The intensity of the grumble goes up a notch. This time it's outright rebellion. There's talk of stoning Moses. And now, verse 2, they're testing the Lord. Did you notice? They switched it round. We're testing you, God, now. The grumbling goes up, but the giving of God goes up as well. His grace. I want to see that in the scene that we have that is set before them. And the scene is set up a bit like a courtroom. There are the elders where, where, where you are, representing the people who are testing God. Seventy of them. There's, there's God on the rock. That's where he says he'll be. I'll be on the rock. And then in between, there's Moses and the rock between the opposing parties. And God says, Moses, bring the staff. It's my walking stick, but that'll do. He says, bring the staff. Remember the staff, Moses. The staff that you brought down on judgment to Egypt. Judgment should fall on rebellious Israel. But see God's grace. Moses brings the rod of judgment down on the rock where God is standing, on God himself. You see, the grumbling goes up, but the self-giving of God goes up as well. He doesn't just strike the rock from a distance. Do you notice he's present among them? He comes among them. Didn't have to do that, but he comes. He gives himself. And when we get to the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that in some sense the rock was Christ, Jesus. 
It was as if God the Son was standing there and the blow fell onto him. When Moses struck the rock, water poured out of him. I guess it wasn't just a trickle because a million drank. Water flowing, pouring, never dry, quenching the thirst. And when we get to the New Testament, Jesus said in John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. He said it about the Spirit. And we're told that when Jesus died in John 19, he gave up the Spirit. And as they struck him, pierced his side with a spear, blood and water flowed out. As they grumbled, as their sin reached the high point, God's grace also reached its high point. It was poured out for us. Now look, how do we respond to all of this as we put this together? One, I think, one response is in how we respond to grumbling. God takes it very seriously. When we get to Psalm 94, which we read, or Hebrews 4, God warns us, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did at Meribah on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test. Though they'd seen my work. And he goes on to say of this generation that none of them entered into the promised land. And so, friends, the, 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 the message for us is don't harden your hearts. Grumbling, settling into grumbling can set a dangerous trajectory. God's patience didn't run out here, but maybe they presumed on him. Well, God gave us grace before. But one day in Numbers, his patience ran out and they didn't enter the land. It's a shocking story of grumbling. It's meant to show us up front how ugly it can be. And look, for, for us, I guess we all identify in our own lives, maybe just low-grade grumbling. Something at work or something at home or something at church. A, a tiresome health issue. Frustrations. Just, just the mundane life. You know, catching trains and going to meetings or double maths or whatever it is. Or just another, another week of challenging children and cooking and, and washing. I guess for Israel, just having manna day by day was very monotonous. A lot of our grumbling just comes from the monotony of life. But do you remember, grumbling tries to keep God out. Just, we're just going to live at the horizontal level down here. Friends, we'd do much better to, to groan, to turn that at least into groaning, to bring it to God, to say, Lord, you've led me here. This isn't an accident. I need your daily grace. I need your provision. Some of us may be in a really painful season of life. Some of us may be at Mara with our hopes are dashed or in the wilderness or camped at Rephidim. Say, so why have you led me here again, Lord? And you're groaning. And the prayer for us is that Rephidim might not become our Meribah, the place where we harden our heart. Lord, we say, Lord, please keep me looking to you and drinking on Jesus. And it will help us as we do that to remember that where we fail in that, as we do, that Jesus bore our judgment, that he was struck for us. And it will help us to come to him, not just the rock who was struck, but the water who quenches our thirst in the desert. And so we cry out to him as we close, Lord Jesus, I need you. 
I need you on the journey. Please satisfy me with the water that only you can give. Let's pray. Father, you know where we are, whether we're, we're just living with low-grade grumbling and, and we long to just be better at, at, at groaning and even looking around and, and, and holding on to the things that we can be grateful for, the things that you have provided, the evidence that you've, you've given. Maybe a handful of us just in a, in a really hard spot where we're just weary of, of turning to you and, and we just pray that you would meet us in the place that you've led us, that you would help us to lift our eyes just a bit to, to, to bring you into the picture of the hard situation and to know the goodness that Jesus gives to sustain us in the desert, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.